0: All right, welcome back to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we highlight the companies, the people, and the technologies shaping the future of retail. Now, this one's a little bit different. I'm flying solo today. and is, as we say, on assignment. She's working on her killer podcast for the Women's Retail Collective. And I'm excited because today we are joined by a guest who uh, we've talked about quite regularly in the media over the last few years. Uh, They've been in the media a lot, especially recently uh, with activities around Toys R Us, also a a new funding round. And we are joined today by the CEO and co-founder, correct me if I'm wrong, Vibhu, but Vibhu Norby of Beta. So Vibhu, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, listen to most of your episodes, and uh, it's great to be here. Awesome, man. Yeah, no, it's good to have you. It's good
0: to have you. We've talked about it for a while, so it's good to sit down. Um, you know, let's start. Let's start. We always start here, but I think it's always an important place to start, so I think that's the reason we do it. Let's start with a little bit of background on what is beta. You know, I think people in the industry know what it is pretty well. Like I said, it gets written about a lot. I think for the casual consumer, though, and those people that also listen to our show and tune in, you know, who are you guys? When did you start? What's it all about?
1: Sure. So we're about to turn four years old. Um, we launched our first store, December eleventh, in Palo Alto in twenty fifteen. Uh, yeah, I think most people think of us as a you know network of stores that focus on innovation and technology products. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason we started the company back in twenty fifteen was uh, really out of our frustration as a product maker with the retail options that we had for for um for ourselves. And so at the time my co-founders and I were working at Nest, uh the company that made the Nest learning thermostat that was acquired by Google. Mm-hmm. And um you know, we were we spent millions, tens of millions of dollars trying to optimize our big box retail presence uh for customer engagement and just felt like it failed over and over and over again. Uh and and so we wanted to create a retail experience that was better for brands and allowed them to build experiences that uh, were designed for engagement, not for transactions. Okay. As we did that, one of the things that we kind of uncovered uh, as we explored building this company was that uh, the entire model of traditional retail wholesale was broken in so many ways um, by the internet. And it was broken for small makers who, you know, really had no access to physical retail. And it was broken for big ones who were Transitioning their model over to direct to consumer and uh, wanted more control out of their, you know, how their brand was represented in every channel. Hmm. Um, so that was a couple of the reasons we started the company. I'll just give you, you know, where we are today. Four years later, we've sure going to open. We'll be at twenty-seven or twenty-eight stores by the end of this year. Uh, we've got three concepts in market. So we've got Beta, um, which everyone knows. We've got Toys R Us, uh, which is a 50-50 joint venture with a company called True Kids. And we've got Forum, which is our fashion lifestyle concept that we just launched in LA. Is that open now? That is open. that Oh, congrats places. on that too. Thank you. Awesome. Well, take us through that, and I'd love to go
0: through each of those while we've got you today. Like, take us through. So, as as a consumer, uh, I'm walking into Beta. What do I see? What do I find?
1: So, you're going to find a range of products who uh, that that are out of the box. Always out of the box. Things that you can try and. Uh, we work with a lot of emerging brands who uh, who have no other place to really display their products and, and get hands-on uh, engagement and feedback from customers. And, uh, and, you know, you're going to be able to play with everything in our store. We don't, like I said, we don't lock anything away under glass. There's no plastic demo units for the most part. And uh, it's a, it's a, you know, a lot of the things that you'll see, you just won't find anywhere else. And I think it makes the experience interesting Um, you know, we get a lot of feedback, including your last episode about, uh, you know, products that people don't like and, you know, because of our unique business model, uh, and our, and the service we provide the customers, like it is, uh, you are supposed to, to see things that are both good and bad. And, uh, our, our business model is kind of ruthless because those bad products tend to leave pretty quickly and the good ones tend to stay for a long time. So our stores have been getting better and better over the years as we've grown.
0: Interesting. That's interesting. We're ruthless. Okay. So, so how does that work then? So are you, so I, cause I think I've, I've heard you speak a few times too. So basically these digitally native brands are using this space as you talked about to showcase the product and it's, it's meant to be kind of a high touch environment and some of the brands and um, some of the products in there, I was just in the new mall of America store, as you alluded to in the podcast we talked about last week. Um, you know, a lot of them are, are kind of, I would almost say, you know, very unique like I think I was looking at a, a wooden, there was I think and at the time was looking at a wood engraver there was a set of steak knives um, there was like a a wallet to protect your identity like very interesting types of things how does it work for them is it are you buying the inventory from them are they working on like consignment with you are they renting the space like how does that all work together
1: yeah. uh, so one of the things that we did when we created the model, like I said, wholesale wasn't really working, and so we invented a model called Retail as a Service, and and you'll actually see this model across industries today. You see it across, you know, especially a lot of almost every industry today. <laughs> that is true, um, <laughs> and I, and I think that you know it was really model after software as a service. You know, we were trying to make retail accessible through the cloud and and um, and really easy for brands to sort of onboard themselves into a store, mm-hmm. and um, and so. Uh, everything that you see in our stores is paid for by those brands. They pay a monthly fixed fee. And I think what makes us probably completely unique, even within our category of retail as a service, uh, is that we give hundred percent of the, of the sales that we make back to the brand. So it's a model that has a fixed kind of downside. You know how much you're going to spend every month in each store. Um, And it has unlimited upside. If you have a really good product and and you make a lot of sales. Awesome. And so what do they get for that fixed fee? Like what all comes with that? What's yeah. part of this retail as a service? Yes. So um you get access to uh to you know your space in the store. And so your fee typically flexes depending on how much space you're taking up. It's a um it's you know, really we when we design our model, we we take the operating cost of a store, which is for us just the staffing and just the lease. Um we split that up into the square footage and then we Um, and then we, we take our, our margin on top of that and split it up into the different displays. Um, so you get your, you get your space, you get access to our staff. We have really, really good staff. Um, I think they're the best in electronics and and some of the best in the industry. Um, and you get access to them in a couple ways. You can train them, um, directly whenever you onboard as a brand. Uh, we, we create a lot of training materials. We record, um, you talking about the product and distribute that to all of our associates, which we call beta testers, um, and then you get access to our software, which is called Arc, and it's also available at arc.com to other retailers. And uh, through Arc, brands can make changes to their experience, so they can adjust how our associates talk about their product, how their product is demoed. They can adjust things like price point and merchandising in the store, uh, and they get access to data as well about how effective that customer experience is on a bunch of different um, vectors. And and what a-
0: That's interesting. What are some of those vectors? Like, What type of data are you giving them?
1: So we're trying to model um, the customer's journey uh, of discovery in a store with an individual brand. And so uh, we are measuring how many people are seeing the product, how many people are engaging with the product, how many people are getting a demonstration of the product, and obviously sales and returns. Um, And we contextualize that data by giving brands benchmarking so they can see um, how their product is performing on each of those Uh, metrics against their category or against their direct competitors. In some cases, if you make headphones, you can see uh, other headphone data. Uh, And then you can see it against your store as well. So you can, you know, I think if you're just looking at data, I know you've looked at a lot of retail data. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you just look at it on a, on a, like on your, uh, if you don't understand how the rest of retail is sort of changing, how the rest of a mall is sort of changing over time, you might think your numbers are getting worse or, better every single day you're not really sure why so we kind of strip out all of the um all the noise and um kind of isolate these uh very precise things that um uh, that brands care about for example uh brands can see through our uh through our software you know what percentage of customers who demo their product in the mall of america store actually end up buying that product um, versus uh in seattle and what that will tell that brand it, if it's uh, you know, typically at the kind of an outlier, either good or bad, uh, whether they need better training in another store. And so they can execute that through our software, or if things are really good, I need mean, to take those lessons from, uh, from one store and apply them to the others. Um, but it's a, it's a, uh, it's something that we've designed in partnership with companies like retail next, uh, which are, you know, m- becoming more u- ubiquitous within our industry. But, uh, I- I'm really, really pleased with, uh, Um, how that's developed over the last four years.
0: So retail next provides the kind of location data analytics for you guys
1: as you provide the cameras and uh, the computer vision algorithms. And then we uh, take that data, split it up programmatically. We do lots of interesting things with it.
0: Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. There's a couple, so a couple of follow-up questions on that then. So I think, so number one, I'm curious, like, so if I'm a, if I'm a brand, like what's the starting package here for me to get a, a space in the store, just out of curiosity, like what does that cost?
1: Yeah, it depends on the store. You know, sure. in our, our most um, in locations where we have you know uh, cheaper rent or the markets, um, you know, labor is a little little less expensive. Sure. Um, you know, a two foot space might cost you three hundred bucks a month. In our really high end locations that are really expensive to operate, uh, might write might run twenty five hundred dollars for the uh, for the same uh, for the same experience.
0: Interesting. So, I mean, what it's it's fascinating to me, too, because a lot of what you're describing is actually you're just a little mall. I mean, at the end of the day, like that's basically the same business model. Uh, aside from the tech side, let's keep that out of it for now. But it's essentially like how a mall works. We provide you yeah. infrastructure, yeah, you we give you the space, you lease the space, you get to keep all of your sales, same as the gap coming into just, you know, a hundred thousand square foot footprint, right? Is there any difference there, really, conceptually, at the end
1: of the day? Um. Well, there's, there's a lot more software Um But I would say, like, yeah, there's there was this inefficiency in the way that malls were designed, and this is why we have a lot of landlord partners because you know not every single brand can can fill a three thousand dollar, sorry, a three thousand square foot box or a fifteen hundred square foot box, right? They may might make one product, hundred percent, and and I think you know over the last ten years um, that has changed a lot. You have you know hundreds of thousands of companies who do one thing very very well and they do want access to physical space. They just don't want to or can't afford uh, to land an entire experience. And so we fill that gap for landlords. We provide uh, this next generation of companies really flexible options for getting into the mall. And, um, and certainly, yeah, I think the business model is, is uh, very, very similar. One place where we differ um, a little bit, like I said, is technology, but I'll explain that specifically Uh, when you are uh, asking brands to pay for space uh, the problem of uh, helping those brands understand ROI changes from measuring their sales per square foot directly in the store, which is really simple to trying to understand attribution uh, more holistically. And so we've spent a lot of time and, uh, you know, we have a whole engineering team here that builds uh, specific tools for brands to, to understand the value of each store um, on, on sales but in a multi-channel sense.
0: So are you able to attribute the sale back to uh, the e-commerce activity that you're seeing for individual customers? Uh,
1: not for individual customers, okay. most of the best stuff for we, markets. Do, um, but we do is created. But we do have a tool that some of our companies use called Brickwork where they can install like an appointment booking tool on their site. And, um, and so some of our, our high-dollar products, like I think Anne in the last episode I mentioned we have a, uh, a very expensive product that she's not sure who it's for, but they um, you know most people don't walk into a store and spend three thousand dollars on something. These are customers who've been doing a lot of homework and, mm-hmm. uh, and so they book an appointment, and they come in and, and try it with us and they go back home.
0: So then a couple of questions. like so how, so how big can the flip, the store footprint be? Um, because I, to be honest, like some of those numbers that you just mentioned in terms of the space and what it costs, that might preclude some of the types of brands you're working with from getting. Bigger in terms of scale. So, like, how big do you see yep. in terms of like as you're talking to investors and whomever, or as you're thinking about this strategically? Like, how many beta stores do we eventually see in the market?
1: You know, I I, uh, I don't think we ever saw beta as a brand that would itself uh, have more than you know 150 locations. I didn't think it was a you know 2,000 store um, target type business. And it was because it was designed around this, uh, this pretty small category of goods, like these up-and-coming emerging technology companies. And so as we thought about expanding the business, you know, we had a choice to make. One was, should we grow the store footprints and, uh, and put more and more categories into the same kind of brand halo as beta uh, and effectively become a department store but with a re-engineered model? Uh, or you know, should we take our business model and try to apply it in these smaller format stores in a bunch of other categories? and I think we kind of landed on the on the second approach, and you can see that playing out this year. Um, but I think you know if you just look at how real you know what kind of real estate is available, those really big boxes are just not they're not interesting to customers today and and I think that they can become really unfocused and so we wanted to make sure that uh, whenever we because I think the fundamental promise of beta is is focus on the demo for a brand we want to be able to deliver a really high quality demo and that's that's our goal and you know if you want to you know we started testing apparel in beta but we didn't have fitting rooms we didn't have mirrors we didn't have like the basic infrastructure so we started thinking about how we could break these out into these smaller format uh, locations that had these purpose-built experiences for those products.
0: So that's all you think it'll ever be at this point is it'll be, you know, give or take a hundred stores, uh, at this point. I mean, that almost makes it sound like it's going to be a very coastal model. It's a very urban kind of high demographics or, or high attractive demographics and income kind of Ooh. model.
1: Is that I think, right? I think beta itself as a brand. Yeah. I think it's going to be limited in, to probably 150 stores in the U S maybe 300 globally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, we're taking our model into a bunch of other categories and, Maybe one day we'll we'll bring those all together as well. But
0: yeah, um, let's talk. Yeah, I could see that too. Yeah, let's talk about that next. Yeah, I mean, because it does when you when you throw out the numbers that you did, like say three hundred dollars a month on the low side, twenty five hundred dollars a month with the brands you're working with. If you tried to get up to a thousand stores, there's no way that would be tenable for those guys to pay. You know, that type of fee, they'd be just better off trying to do it
1: themselves. Um, well, I don't think anyone should have a thousand stores in this in this retail era. So I I don't think that's limited to just us. I think our model is. Functionally, the same as wholesale when it works really well. Why not? Couldn't I, I? could see Lulu,
0: like maybe not a thousand, but I mean, I could see Lululemon having six eight hundred stores. That's a pretty strong brand. They're doing a pretty good job in terms of what they're trying to do. As an example,
1: I just, I just, I just think that there are once you start getting past a couple hundred stores, you start having to consider um, very, very secondary tertiary markets where where a lot of those customers will be better off just purchasing online. Um, I, you know, I don't know, I can't say for certain whether that's the case, but we're not, you know, the kinds of things that the kinds of brands we're working with are things that you want, not need. And, you know, like I, I well, that hold on a sec. Cause that's interesting. Cause like, so does that,
0: so what does that mean for Toys R Us? So you guys, I mean, you're essentially running the same model for Toys R Us in that partnership, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, if there's differences, but if the, if those issues exist, what does that mean for Toys R Us? as everyone's out here talking about this is Toys R Us can become potentially what it was, or is this going to be a limited model for the coasts and the big cities and people Um, with
1: more money to spend too? Well, the merchandise is different. So, you know, we have a lot of, I mean, the average price point in that store is probably one tenth of the average price point in a beta store. So it's designed for people to, it's designed for that category and toys are just in general cheaper than electronics, but... Does it work the same way though, where the vendors are paying you for the space? It is exactly the same model. I think... Uh, but I, and I think the same philosophy applies just in, gen- in terms of number of stores. Like, I don't think the plan is to open six, seven hundred, eight hundred stores again um, in strip centers. Uh, we are focused on opening them in in really high quality, you know, streets or really high quality centers where there's already built in traffic. We're not worried about, um, you know, like Mall of America is an example of, of mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a, you know, the death of, I guess I would say like the death of the mall is not, has not been equally applied across all types of malls. It's been really focused on a specific type of, of mall asset. And, um, and so we, we want to align our retail growth strategy with, uh, with the way retail is going, which is centered on these top 150 centers and industries.
0: Yeah. Which also makes it sound like it's not very middle America either in terms of what its ultimate reach is. Um, you
1: know, this is, I think that's, that's a really complicated question because, uh, there's, you know, a mega trend for the entire world has been, uh, people moving to cities and, you know, like we're, our stores today are already very, very close to like 70% of the, of, of the population of the country. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I think that's easy to
0: say when you're sitting in Palo Alto or where, I mean, in California, that's a, that's a hard one. I think that's a trend, but that's still a hell of a lot of people that are living in other places that that need retail, but let's let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about you know because there's ways to reach those consumers through technology too. So let's talk more about the platform. So the one question I had, like all that attribution and everything, makes sense. But like, how does that work in the long? How does what you guys wor- are doing in the long term work when you've got different options like Scan and Go mobile technology that gives you even more definitive attribution, more definitive links to e-commerce? You've got Amazon coming with Scan and Go. You've got companies out of Israel like Trigo, that are doing a lot with computer vision and checkout free technology with companies like Tesco in London. Like how are you guys defensible against all that they can do from the same analytical and attribution perspective, but almost more so in mass, given the conversation we were just having.
1: Yeah. I mean, all of the examples you gave are focused on servicing customers needs and um, we're, we're not, it's a different type of retail that we're enabling, right? We're, Almost everything we carry, including in Toys R Us, are not are by definition not things that you need. They're not your daily essentials. And so in that universe, transaction speed is not the key attribute of the store. We're not designing our stores for efficiency. In fact, it's the opposite. We're, we want people to spend... As much time as possible with us and learn about a lot of new
0: things. Yeah, but transaction speed is always important. I mean, I was just in your store and I, you know, I hit the button and had to wait for somebody. And if I could have made it a self-service experience, I, I could have. So, like that, always is a thing. Whether you're in apparel or anywhere, I don't know that. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know it, that that makes sense.
1: Um, I would just say our contrarian viewpoint and and the kind of retailer building is just not focused on check out speed and efficiency. And we've never once had a conversation about how to make that. I think the, you know, we So what it,
0: what is, so what is, so what is it about them? Like, who's the, like, who's the core customer for beta and then across Toys yeah. R Us and even, sorry, what's the, the forum? Like, who is that core customer then who's coming in so for the, these types of experiences? Yeah. They're probably all different, right?
1: Yeah, they are. But we have two different types of customers. We have the customer who is coming in specifically for a brand. That's about half of our traffic. They're there to get a demo of the Boosted Board. They're there to get a demo of Irgo um, or Turing Tumble, which is a Minneapolis-based company that we started working with. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they may happen to discover other things while they're in the store. But that's um, that's not why they came in. And then we have half of our customers are just walking in to see the store looks interesting and and they want to have a good time and, and discover what's the latest. Um, I, I would say, like, I, as I said before, and I'll say this to my deathbed, like our stores are designed to provide demos of products. And if you're a customer who doesn't, if you're if, like, you don't need a demo of toilet paper, right. Um, but you might want a demo of, uh, of this, uh, of the latest Lego product. You might want to see something out of the box. And if you do, then you'll come in and we're not trying to capture every single possible shopper. This is not, this isn't target or Walmart. It's not designed for. Um, for everybody and for uh, and for every every use case of retail, it's designed for that specific demonstration experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, here's a tricky part for me to understand, and this is where I still try to have trouble wrapping my head around what it is you guys are doing. I mean, fifty million dollars for the platform arc, which
1: is about million how
0: much was it? A million. Oh, geez, excuse oh. me, actually, yeah, no, I apologize for. That. Oh, in total, okay, yeah. I apologize for that. Um, that's a lot of money, and so. You know, to do what you're talking about, I think at the end of the day, like you have to have that full omnichannel experience. You have to have that connection to e-commerce. So, like, why, for example, in, in we, we in actually Sierra- yeah, we're not
1: commerce at all. In fact, when we launched the company, we didn't have e-commerce because most of the brands we worked with already had a robust direct strategy, and so we weren't trying to conflict with that. We were just trying to give them a tool that, uh, you know, the the tool of retail, uh, which is much more difficult for them to do on their own. But how can you, I don't understand how you
0: can say that in today's day and age. How can you, if you're going to be the platform for e-commerce, like I talked about, like say whether it's, you know, a scan and go type shopping arrangement, where regardless of the category, you're connected to what's happening in the online universe. If you're going to be the platform for e-commerce, isn't that an important element?
1: This is the big difference between our model and wholesale, right? We're not trying to, um, we're not trying to, be the one channel that every customer discovers and buys in like our typical like i would say 100 percent of the brands that we work with they started online they already have a really robust e-commerce experience that they've been developing for years in some cases and we're never going to make an experience that's superior to that they might they may have uh they may have you know specific business models that are um, running on their website that we couldn't replicate they may have subscription packages. They may have replenishment models. Um, we're not trying to build all of that into an e-commerce site. Uh, I think we are trying to fill this physical gap that they have. They, don't, they do not have physical pres- a physical presence. There's nowhere their customers can go to see these things. A lot of their customers are demanding to, have, uh, to see these products out of the box before they buy. And, uh, and with, our, with our platform, they can do that in 30 cities. And you know, one day, 150 um, through the internet without having to talk to anybody quickly and, and in a pretty economical manner.
0: Yeah. I'm I just not convinced, I guess you're just not convinced me that that's why that people, that there's that many people that want to do it exactly that way. And there's a lot of friction in what, in terms of how you're describing this too. Like if people are controlling their own prices in these stores, like let's take TRU, for example, if people are controlling their own prices as the vendors in these stores, And then they go online to shop for them. What prices are they seeing? Are those consistent? Are they different? Like how do you keep that all in control in terms of what's happening in the e-commerce world against what's in the store?
1: Okay. So if you talk to a typical modern brand, they're extremely concerned about consistent price points. They don't want their wholesale partners to price their products competitively. That's why they have map pricing. I mean, it's illegal to price fix, but if you walk into a typical store and you look at Google products, for example, they will always be the same price. There may be bundles and other kinds of sophisticated schemes to to um, to try to make the price look lower. But if you when you buy that product, it is almost always the same price in every channel. It's a big myth that like Amazon, for example, is selling products at a much cheaper price than...
0: I, I got to disagree there because that, that pricing is one thing, but advertising is completely different. So like for example, like, I'll, I'll tell you where that's probably wrong. I, I don't know this for sure, but you can comment on it. Like Say I walk into Toys R Us. What's interesting to me about that Target's running all of your e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So if those vendors are controlling their own prices in terms of the space they've run it and what they have on display there, and Target's running their general Black Friday promotions, which are Target-wide, and you're getting incentives on that, those prices aren't calibrated. There's no way you can tell me that they are. So, the, so okay, the, there's incentives, but the, price, the actual price of the products typically... For the it's product not how consumers is- think, though, man. Consumers are thinking about the price they're taking home, not the price that the actual brand is saying is mapped or whatever it is.
1: Right? If you talk... So here's what I'll say. If you talk to a typical brand, they want control over pricing in all channels. And we're building our store for... We're building the store for brands that we wanted ourselves as, as product makers. And even if it doesn't work that way in every single big box scenario, I can tell you right now that... If you're trying to attract the business of these up-and-coming next-generation companies, uh, this is the kind of platform that they want, and this is the kind of control they want. And this is also why, at a typical target, you don't see most of these up-and-coming brands, because when they talk to the buyer, they, they're not getting the things that, that are interesting to them. They're not getting the, uh, things like price control. They're not getting control over where they are in the store, which categories they're in.
0: Um, yeah, I don't agree with that. I think it's the buyers are deciding what is most important for the mass market at the time. You know, I was the guy that brought Nest into Target for the first time, the company you guys used to work for. So like, I, I don't necessarily agree. I think it's hard. It just means the bars are... In fact, I would, argue, I would argue that digitally native brands have more assets at their disposal to get recognized by physical retailers than they've ever had in the past as well, just because there's so much of a connection they can make in the online world via e-commerce to have that one-to-one direct relationship with their consumers at all times.
1: I just, I'm sorry, but it's just not true. Like, if you look at a typical big box store, like there just aren't very many direct to consumer brands in there. Like name, name. Yeah, but but at the same time, you're saying your stores can't get beyond uh, 100 stores. They can't even get to the rest of the mass
0: market. I mean, we can. I think at this point, we can agree to disagree on this. But I think it's a, it's a. It, there's. It seems like to me that there are some fundamental gaps in terms of the connections of e-commerce, and just how big the business model can scale. So. Yeah, it might be applicable or, and it might be valuable. And I think you're also assuming
1: well, that I it might be valuable I to people that, that like, want to shop that. the way you do. But I'm not sure how many people... So let me ask you a question though. Why does yeah. it have to be 2,000 stores for it to be an interesting business?
0: It doesn't, but it needs to be connected to e-commerce and it needs to be available to people. Like essentially. And You could have a small business for sure, but it's not like it's going to revolutionize the way retail is done in total. Like If it can't get to that type of scale.
1: Well, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because you know um, I would say a lot of a lot of retailers are testing our exact model, and the reason they're testing it is because they're having trouble attracting these up and coming brands. Um, we have a, a partnership announced with Macy's, but um, you know there are more coming that are that are other retailers that you and I both know, and uh, even and and there are plenty of retailers like Kohl's that just announced this program called Curated. When they're like, the retailers are- Are they using you guys? Is Kohl's using you guys? Or is that, is it just Macy's using you for that type of thing? We've only announced Macy's today on there. So Kohl's can attract the brands, but other people can't? So, okay. This is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Uh, These programs that these retailers are running are running an alternative business model like ours. And that's because this is what these up and coming brands want. They don't, they don't want to do wholesale. That is just like, talk to these brands. They don't want to do wholesale. They don't like the way it works. And this type of model doesn't have to be exactly ours, but this type of model is attractive to them where they get more control. Every brand wants control over their story in every channel. That's, that's, but, where, that's, yeah. why, they, that's why they started the way they are. That's why they, you know, they don't have sales teams in a lot of cases. They don't right, have but it
0: fundamentally, but I, I get what you're saying, but it fundamentally caps your growth. That's why wholesale exists or that's why people create their own stores. So it fundamentally caps your growth until you want to go to those places. That's all I'm saying. I mean, retails existed forever. I mean, that's I just, that that's a, what what's that. that? I don't know what that means. What do you mean by capture growth? So if I'm a brand, right? You're, you're telling me brands, brands, they, they don't want to go wholesale, right? You're saying that's what you keep hearing. Well, fine. They don't want to go wholesale. But if you don't do that, it captures growth because ultimately, if you're going to reach the full market of people, you I either know. have to go wholesale to get all those placements on shelves, like we've been talking about, or you have to start opening your own stores. Guys, well, not you going wholesale the way you're talking about it, as you gave me the numbers, is prohibitively too expensive.
1: Let me ask you though: what is the fundamental property of wholesale that makes it uh, that makes it different on that on that vector for brands?
0: It's a different sharing of the risk.
1: In what sense?
0: The retailer and the and the brand are are e- I would say more equally yoked than in terms of like how you're how you've got it here, which is like okay, you're just renting the space. I give you a few like infrastructural things and then just let it happen. I mean, I like I said, essentially you're, you're acting as a mall at the end of the day.
1: Um, okay. So I, I think that wholesale is designed for this outcome of getting you a product as cheaply and efficiently as possible. And I think there are a whole class of goods where that makes a ton of sense. Cosmetics in some cases, cPG grocery um, but there are equally large number of product categories where that mentality just doesn't apply, and those brands have never done wholesale and they certainly um, and they're certainly not going to consider being in two thousand target stores um, ever, and they would you know even in a even without data itself, they would never be opening more than you know, if they're opening their own stores, they'd never be opening more than a 150 stores. So I guess.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, that's up. Those are, those are upper cachet brands. And like you just said, they might open their own stores, but again, that's a limited market size too. I mean, it doesn't mean they're not decently good businesses, but at the end of the day, we're still talking about niche cachet brands. I mean, you guys are selling $1,500 electric bikes in your store. I mean, that's a, it's a pretty niche thing at the end of the day. So yes, for those. Yeah, for sure. That's not going to find its way onto a target shelf or any mass merchant shelf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean it's yeah, right. I mean, but it's, it's it's but that that product universe is very limited. So when you talk to me about how this model can then extend out and
1: other retailers are trying to get into the business. I don't think it's limited at all. I don't see how that works. I don't think it's limited. I think if you look at the average merchant on Shopify, they have a million a million brands on there. I don't I don't think those brands have designed their business or their product for sitting on a box on a four stack shelf in Target. I just think that The future, like every brand that was invented post 2008 is, uh, has a different strategy and they're not going, like they're going to want options like ours. They're not going to want options like a typical big box store.
0: Yeah. And, but I don't think, I think that's unfair to say that the big box stores can't pivot or other physical retail entities can't pivot. And that's where I brought back the point too, of like, there's other ways to still do what you guys are doing from an attribution perspective and why the linkage of e-commerce is also so important. But anyway, wow, um, good discussion. Definitely definitely a good back and forth there. A um, lot to think about. And hey, l- the listeners can decide based on uh, the listeners and watchers, actually, because like, we've got this on video too, can decide exactly kind of where they come down on the side of the argument. I think, as you can tell, still a lot of questions for me. But like I say to everyone, when I write anything, talk about anything, hey, man, best of luck and prove me the hell wrong, is what I would say. Like, get out there and, and get it done. And I wish you guys nothing but. The best of success congrats on the opening of um, everything you have related to Toys R Us congrats on the on the opening of the forum because no matter what you guys are doing some cool and interesting new things and you're testing the way all of us think as you can tell just from the conversation we had so I appreciate that I love that hope you have a good video I hope you have a good time with the family here last week and then heading into the holidays and for everyone listening out there of course be careful out there